Hey there. Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. And we have a show all about how you can love the hell out of your Thanksgiving week. Because that is our goal here at the Deeper Podcast. It's how can we have the courage to love the living hell out of every single part of our lives, which includes sometimes the hell that can be, of course, our holidays. Now, I'm not saying that your holidays are inherently hellish, but I'm saying that sometimes our expectations and the realities of all that time, the sensory overload, the everything, the everything, the everything can be a little, a little bit too much for us. And so Aline and I are going to share some, I guess, postures or ways of navigating the holiday time that brings a little bit of intentionality, a little bit of relationality to a time that is, uh, quite frankly, literally stressing me out already. And I uh, forgot to introduce myself. My name is Reverend Sean, and I am your host. Now, we're also recording this episode after the tragedy in Colorado Springs, where five people were killed at Club Q at a queer nightclub. We're going to be producing a separate episode of the podcast that's going to be reflecting on that. So look for that in your feed this week as well. But we wanted to keep this podcast to be specifically about the holidays. One quick editor's note, as I was listening to this, I realized that the quality of the recordings of the messages are not what they usually are. We seem to have two mics on at the same time, which makes it difficult to apply the the quality control that we can usually do to clean things up in post. So I apologize for that. We can still hear pretty well, but just wanted to let you know. So first up, I'm going to tell you why you should never trust me to bring in your groceries. And then after that, Elaine is going to bring it home, sharing about why the small little things in our relationships with each other can amount to so much more. When I was a kid, I always went grocery shopping with my parents. It was just one of those things that we did as a family, and you were expected to help out, getting items off the shelf, carrying bags. I didn't hate it. It was one of the moments that you could influence right, what you were going to eat the rest of the week, which always had a plus. And while I didn't hate it, I also didn't always love that I had to do it when we needed to do it. Often there was something else that I would rather have been doing at that given time. But most of these trips to the grocery store were relatively uneventful. I mean, there was that one time that in the middle of winter, me with my snow jacket and snow pants on kept complaining that it was too hot. I mean, it probably was. Even now, as an adult, if I go into the store in the middle of winter, I have to take my jacket off because I will get too hot. But at that time, well, I employed a similar strategy. And the story goes that my mother, after hearing me say over and over, I'm too hot, turned around to see all of my clothes scattered down the aisle and a naked Sean walking towards her. <laughs> I was pretty young, but... Apparently, it seemed like the appropriate thing to do. <laughs> but other than that, going to the grocery store was not very eventful. But when it came to bagging groceries up and bringing them to the car or to the house, we did have one rule. Sean was not allowed to carry the bag that had the eggs in them. 
You can probably guess why. Now, I'm not the most coordinated human in the history of humans, and I've been known on occasion to misjudge steps, trip, or put a bag down harder than it should be put down, or whatnot. And after a few too many eggy situations, this rule was crafted and we were home free. The one problem with this rule is that, of course, I grew up and became an adult and started going grocery shopping by myself. And there was no one to carry the eggs for me. It was a couple of years ago that I realized that I had unconsciously constructed a system for dealing with this situation. That as I was grocery shopping and carrying all of the bags to the car or up to my house, I would not only identify very precisely the bag where the eggs were in, but I would also consciously rank the order, the bags, in the order of their safety for being dropped in any given situation. Boxes, more generally robust than milk containers. Vegetables, generally better to be dropped than fruit. Frozen goods are golden, although they can be a little ouchy. Same thing with cans. So there I would be walking up a flight of stairs to my apartment in grad school, and I'd be thinking to myself, if I trip, it's the bag in your left hand that you can drop and fall on and still eat dinner. Maybe that's normal. Maybe it's not. But it is what it is. This system of prioritizing what might be able to be dropped, I think, is an instructive lesson for all of us as we approach the holiday season, a time that is filled with a lot of joy and connection for many of us, but also stress and a bit of chaos a bit of family dynamics, maybe a little bit of distance, and a bit of loneliness. We're at the time of year when Thanksgiving bleeds into Christmas and Christmas into New Year's, and then suddenly it's Easter. But here we are at the tipping point into the holidays, and I know that I get quickly overwhelmed by all of it. I want it to be good. I want it to be one of those holidays that you can look back on and you have these fond memories, but it can be rather tricky. I don't want it to be one of those holidays where you feel like you need a vacation from it afterwards. It can be tricky to approach all of these dynamics, all of these competing demands, all of the parts of us that may want contradictory things. It can be difficult to navigate that all within ourselves, let alone with the other people that might be in our lives. And then suddenly we turn into the not-so-nice person who's upset because nothing seems to be working out, or maybe the one thing that you really wanted isn't working out, and it's just hard because you wanted those potatoes a certain way, because that's how your mom used to make them, and you really miss her, but it's just not happening. So this Thanksgiving, to find love in the chaos, I'm going to invite us all, well, to remember where the eggs are. And by that, I mean to think about what is most important and create an anchor for ourselves. When you look back on this time, what is most important for you? Think about it. When you look back on this holiday season, what do you want to remember? 
What theme do you want to run through it? What's the most important part? If everything else had to be dropped, if the dishes looked completely different on the table, if the traditions that you always do weren't able to be possible, if you couldn't gather in person because of COVID or travel or something else, what would you still want to be true? I want you to name that for yourself very specifically. Very specifically in a way that you will remember when it gets too hot in the kitchen or too hot under the collar. If you had to drop everything else, what's the one thing that you would keep holding on to because it is precious, because it's the most important thing? For me, I want it to be about a sense of warmth. Like the sense of warmth that you get sitting around a campfire or a fireplace where you don't feel the need to do anything in particular other than delight in the sparks of the fire and the company that is around you, maybe eating a little bit too much cheese. And even if the fireplace is a TV because you don't have a real fireplace and some of the friends are on video screens, I can work with that. I can work with that and I won't be disappointed. I can work with that because I know what's truly most important. And with that anchor, with that intention, well, I can stop myself in those moments where I start to think that certain things are more important because I've already chosen, predetermined, predestined, preordained what I'm gonna make sure to not let drop. We had been talking about my son's birthday for months in that way that you do with the very young. When is my birthday? November 13th. Is that soon? No, it's in five months. <laughs> but pretty soon, five months becomes one month, which becomes one day. And then before you know it, it's birthday time. So what do you do? on a child's fifth birthday. That's right. You get really serious about making lots of pigs in a blanket on a very tight timeline. <laughs> like, let's get that assembly line going and just pump those piggies out. While also simultaneously blowing up balloons and filling the cooler with drinks and safely preparing the cake for transportation, just all the things all at the same time. And in this flurry of hot dogs and frosting with an underscore of that sound that balloons make when you're trying to tie them, that <laughs> I hear a voice. Oh, it's a voice I recognize. Oh, that's my child's voice, the child who we're celebrating with all of these things. Hey, Mom, watch me fly this paper airplane. It's got rocket boosters on it. Oh, yes, yeah, sweetie, just a second. Hey, Mom, is that my birthday cake? Oh, yeah, it is. Hold on just a second. I have to just wrap it all up and put it in the car safely. Mom, I'm a dinosaur. Did dinosaurs eat people? Oh, Jason. Look, all of these pigs in a blanket, these are not heavily toasted. These are just burnt. We can't take 
burnt snacks to a birthday gathering? Oh, come on. Okay, for the record, <laughs> Jason said I could share that anecdote if I also told you that in his estimation, he maintains that they were still just toasted and still <laughs> edible. I respectfully disagree. We move along. So we gathered up the birthday kid, we hustled off to the party, which was an outdoor party at a playground in November because COVID and RSV. And the kids played on the playground with gusto despite the cold and the wind. The candles were blown out, the swings were swung on, no one could feel their toes anymore. It was time to pack up and go home. And that's when I realized that in celebrating my kids' special day, I had somehow managed to also not connect with him very much. He had tried to reach me. He had tried to connect with me so many times that day, but mostly I just turned in the direction of my projects. I just put him off until later. So I know I'm still a good mom. I know tomorrow's a new day, we can start again, but still this realization didn't feel good. And part of why it didn't feel good is it felt really familiar. That yucky tension of having hustled so hard to make something happen, but then in the end, not feeling the warmth and connection that the whole experience was actually about. We know that it is not humanly possible or even healthy to give our undivided attention to every person who asks for it. We live in a world where our attention is constantly being sought after by advertisers, businesses, influencers, all over the place, you name it. Our attention is a finite and precious resource. The people in our lives who we care about, they also want our attention. Our lonely and talkative neighbor, our stressed out coworker, our partner, the children in our lives, our friends, each with their own charming and challenging qualities. And we have limited time and capacity. We have our own things to attend to. And sometimes we just want to do what we want to do. We want to just rest quietly with our book at the end of the day, just like we'd been looking forward to and had planned. We just want our special holiday gathering to go just so. We're just trying to get something done over here. And yet sometimes our loyalty to our own agenda, our projections about how the future is going to be, it means we miss out on small but essential opportunities to strengthen the trust and connection that at the end of the day are the actual foundations of healthy and joyful relationships. John and Julie Gottman are psychologists and researchers who have spent the past four decades studying thousands of couples trying to figure out what makes some relationships flourish and some relationships fail. The Gottmans maintained that the easiest way to make an improvement in your relationship is this. Notice when your partner makes a bid for connection, and when they do, turn towards them and respond to the bid. So what is a bid for connection? 
It's any attempt from one partner to the other for affirmation, affection, attention, or some other kind of positive connection. Responding to a bid could be as simple as returning a smile or chuckling at a joke. Take a minute and just think about it. How long does it take to return someone's smile? Like one second, two seconds? Responding to a bid could also mean showing interest in your partner's accomplishments or listening when they tell you how their day went or grabbing something for them when you're in the next room or offering them a hug when, you see, when they seem down. Bids can be large or small. They can be verbal or nonverbal. As part of their research, the Gottmans conducted a study with newlyweds. Then they followed up with the same newlywed couples six years later. And some couples were still together and other couples had broken up. Those that stayed together, it turns out, were much better at one thing, turning towards each other instead of turning away and responding to each other's bids for emotional connection. At the six-year follow-up, couples that stayed married turned towards each other 86% of the time, and couples that got divorced averaged only 33% of the time. To quote John Gottman, when couples break up, it's usually not because of big issues like conflict and infidelity. More often, it's a result of the resentment and distance that built up over time when partners continually turn away from bids for connection. Wow. Talk about the power of the little things. So this research was all done on couples, but the power of responding to a bid for connection and turning towards another human it extends to all of our relationships. Trust and connection are built in tiny increments through very small exchanges that have a very powerful cumulative impact. These little gestures of response, connection, care, these are also a practice that remind us that life is about more than our desires, our comfort, our agenda. When we make the effort to turn towards another human, we affirm that our life is held within a complex web of relationship, a web that we are always actively knitting, reinforcing, mending. And when we turn towards a bid, we are participating in the building up of love and trust. And it is the same love and trust that ultimately has the power to transform us and transform the world. We are meant to be connected to one another. And the sacred comes and finds us in those connections. So if you're like me, maybe at this point you're thinking, hmm, I definitely missed the ball on this. Like, I can. Just yesterday, as I was editing this manuscript, I was painfully reflecting on all the bids that I had missed or uh, turned away from that day. On any given day, I totally fall short 
of catching all those opportunities to turn towards the people I love. And you know, sometimes it's just too much. You just can't do it. I think back to pandemic quarantining time with my family, which was like the land of 10,000 bids. I mean, I was just drowning in bids. I couldn't do it. But the point here is not perfection in accepting bids for connection. It's not building up your perfect bid response statistic. The point is to practice looking for the bids. And when you forget, just begin again. Practice, not perfection. Look for the bids. When you walk into a space with another human that you care about, turn on that bid detector. And when you can, turn towards and just accept them. It could be a smile, could be a hug, could be just putting down your phone, a comment, a question. So I want to invite you into a little thought experiment right now. <clears throat> I want you once more in your mind's eye to travel back, travel forward in time to a Thanksgiving scenario or just like a next week scenario that you are anticipating. It could be the same place you went with Sean, could be a different place. And look around the room, see who's there, and ask yourself, first of all, where are my eggs? What do I care about more than anything else uh, in this scenario? And then secondly, as you look around to the people in that room, ask yourself, what are the most important connections I want to nurture in this space? And where might I be very tempted to focus my energy that is not in service to my values or to those connections? And now imagine yourself responding to a bid for connection. What does that look like? What does that feel like inside yourself? Maybe you imagine yourself nodding or just kind of cocking your head and really listening, showing interest, offering a hug, getting down on the carpet to play. And based on whatever's coming up for you, see if there's an intention that's presenting itself to you that you might want to accept <clears throat> about how you're going to show up in whatever space you're anticipating being in next week. How do you want to be in terms, who do you want to turn towards? Who do you want to invite to turn towards you? And in all of that, what might you need to let go of? My friends, we are all in this thing together, building entire lives and our most important connections from these teeny tiny relational building blocks, weaving a shared tapestry of love and joy together with each other. May we delight in each other. May we lavish each other in attention and care. And when we fall short, start over again in love. Little by little, may we build up the world in love. So one thing that you may not have known if you showed up on Sunday was that actually uh, Reverend Gretchen was supposed to be preached, but instead she was having a lot more fun having COVID. And so I thought 
because Gretchen didn't get the opportunity to share it, that we'd bring her into the tale, the tale of this episode as we enter the holidays. So, hey, Gretchen. Hey, son. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing a lot better than I was uh, when y'all were leading that service, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, that's good. I'm glad that we were able to let you not come to church. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely a good choice all around. The irony is that I had selected love avoidance as the topic for this Sunday, how people might run from love and intimacy and connection. And so it was especially fun to just be 100% absent on the Sunday that I was set to be preaching on love avoidance. So I, I demonstrated the message nonetheless. I, I appreciate your preaching without words. You know, often, often it is what we preach without words that has the most impact. As you think about the Thanksgiving uh, that is upon us, yeah, and, and and that topic of uh, love avoidance, is there is there a tool or or something that you're thinking about as you're looking forward into the week that's helping you maybe not run away? Hmm. You know, I. I really appreciated what, first of all, that I just got to, I got to hear your messages and receive what y'all offered. And it just was a good, a good reminder of um, what we hope our community can do. We try all the time to, to make sure that our messages are speaking to people in their lives, in their real lives, and how you unleash more love, more courage into your life in the everyday not in um, big sweeping headlines, but in those little everyday moments. And I, I really felt like that was what you and Elaine offered us on Sunday. I think my nugget at this point is just as I'm thinking about the holidays and is to just keep celebrating the kinds of messages that we're offering. And that I, I think there's something really valuable that we are uniquely bringing. I'm just feeling grateful for Foothills and the opportunity to get to do this with you and Elaine and with the whole community because I think it's something that um, even when I'm not there, I feel blessed by. It's something that a lot of people have even when we're not able to be there personally. It's just such a good, such a good community and it means so much that it continues to do the good work and offer the good news of courageous love every every sunday every day all all through the years i think often i know when i'm going to figure out a message there's this like trifecta of questions that i usually ask myself and the first question is always like what does my soul need to hear the what the second question usually is what do what do our people need to hear and what am I hearing from them? And then what what is that greater call that we're responding to? And and how is that a part of it? And so often people will come up and say, Oh, I so so appreciate what you said. And I always find that awkward. But mostly what I want to say to them is like, I I appreciated it too because I needed to hear it too. <laughs> I, like, I don't know how to say that in a way that doesn't sound like really like self-assured. Like, yeah, no, it was great. 
yeah, yeah self-congratulatory. But it's like, no, like I, I needed to hear that too. Yeah, almost always. I think that, and you know, saying it that way helps us feel less worried about the, the fear of um, hypocrisy <laughs> that we can fall into, which is that sense that we're preaching something that we don't yet have under control ourselves. I'm always preaching a message that I need to hear. And I probably need to hear it more than anyone else in the room. So we don't position ourselves as experts on this, any particular topic or having gotten it, we're not further along in the journey. We're right there in the middle of it, probably the most in need of it. I mean, that's, that's why I was wanting to preach on love avoidance, because I feel like it's something that I, I, in my life have really wrestled with and kind of just the, the practice of learning to receive love close in and being that the practice and willingness to be seen fully and known fully that that's something that I've struggled with and I feel like it's something other people struggle with but I believe me I anything I would say would be mostly for my own edification I know when I receive messages there's a power of seeing someone in that struggle too yeah even if they they don't have the thing that's going to help you. At least they're naming, hey, I'm, I'm in this with you. Yeah. You're, you're not alone in this feeling. So we're in the pledge, pledge season. We are. Is there anything about love avoidance that's going on there? <laughs> well, that's a good question. It's funny you say that. Maybe that is the frame that we should put on this or I don't know. I, it's, I've kind of been put in a frame of the the overwhelm of life in general right now but we are currently um we're doing well on raising money but we're really it's really a slow trickle of response every day we have this i should say steady slow trickle uh, we have a good number coming in every day but we still are about 30 percent of the numbers of pledges that we would expect and so we're we're doing everything we can to try to break through the noise. And it's like you can't it's not just breaking through the noise in this case. We actually need people to do something, which that's a next step. That's always the it's like breaking through and getting the message out is one challenge, but then actually taking it in action. We need the people who feel the movement of a sense of courageous love and its power and this power of what it means to have a community that's with you in the struggle. and in the challenge and in the hope of, of bringing more love and more courage into your life every day. We need everyone who feels that to, to make a commitment to be a part of it because there's enough of us and there's enough resources here. And it's just a matter of we, it, it is like we've, oh, James Luther Adams used to talk about that, that idea that it's, it is it, the thing that makes the difference between between a, a good idea and a movement with real impact is commitment. And so at this point, we just need folks to commit. I don't know if it's a, um, that's love avoidance, actually. I think it's more, um, it's just taking that next step and that action. And every amount is um, helpful and counts. What's amazing about fundraising in churches is the great demonstration of if we all do a, what we can, our impact is so profound. Sometimes we don't realize that when we just look at what our own 
what our own capacity is, we don't realize what it would actually be possible if we joined that with everyone else. This is a good tangible example of the truth of that. Our deadline is December 1st. That's coming up. December is around the corner. I pledge. I know that you pledge. Yeah. I also know that I haven't pledged this year yet. You so have? Like, I, no, I haven't. I, I, I we, uh, <laughs> Wait, you make the big pitch. You like have I'm a making pitch. the pitch. I know I have a video uh, literally about planning this, but, uh, I, I know where I'm going to. And, and so yes, you, he, are we you, have a number too. I just haven't filled out the form. Are you avoiding love, Sean? I, is, that I, I mean, or, is that part I, of it? I think there's a lot of anxiety about economics right now. Hmm. And I have this false story that if I wait, things might be clearer. Hmm. And I know that my commitment to this community won't be, won't be different, even if I had more information. I'm just throwing my little empathy hat in for all all y'all who may be in that same place. <laughs> and and also I wish I could share the stories of impact that I hold, that I know that you hold, Gretchen, that are not able to be shared because of the 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 intimate nature. Like this community truly is one of the most powerful churches that I've ever witnessed. For sure. And I, I know, I know that people feel that. And so it's a matter of collecting, collecting that together so that we can continue to do this good work and not get to talk about money like this and yet keep talking about our commitment. Yeah. And I mean, I think just to put in a note about the certainty of, and uncertainty of our economic situation, I, you know, a pledge is a mental commitment, but not a contract. People change, their circumstances change. They may not be able to fulfill what they originally said. And that is, it's a joy. That's a joy too when that happens, because it means that we can be responsive with an easy note of gratitude that we are, we're here for each other and the, the rest of the community steps up. And that's just what it means to be in community together. So don't be afraid, you know, be, find the place that is the right number for you right now. And whatever that is, that's, we'll receive it with gratitude and it's, Give I guess. with it, gratitude and, and we will receive it as and, such. Yeah. And together we can, we can get there. It's within our sights. You can go to foothillseu.org slash pledge to drop your pledge into that river. You can go to foothillsuu.org slash courageous love to learn more about the work that we're doing and how you can be a part of that. Thanks, Gretchen. Thank you. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the Deeper Podcast. As always, we want to thank you for listening and wish you all a Thanksgiving that is filled with exactly what is most important. And for you to look for those bids of connection and realize that it's probably going to feel impossible. There may be moments that aren't pleasant, but that is a part of being human and that you are not alone in having any of those experiences. Well, until next time, thanks for listening. For the world